You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Too much love drives a man insane. You broke my will, but what a thrill. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I let you love what I Hello, this is Ed Cohen, your broadcast host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com. And I'm also the editor of Global HR News, GlobalBusinessNews.net. So our very special guest today is Mr. Joshua Shulman, and he's here to talk to us about how to speak better, how to think better. He is a learning coach, and he is an expert at speaking, and he has, in the past, been awarded international acclaim, and he was a contestant coach for the popular TV show Shark Tank. He is a frequent podcast business sales guest, and here he is today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, and he's an expert in corporate communications and English as a second language from a business presentation coaching point of view. We're also going to have him discuss the realm of poker, the correlation between learning how to play poker properly and the correlation in startup businesses, and a lot of people are interested in that. So let's welcome Joshua Shulman. Hello, Josh. Hello. Hi, Ed. Thanks for being our guest today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com. So you're based in the L.A. area, and I'm here in San Diego. So That's right. tell us, what is really hot other than earthquakes in L.A.? Yeah, we do. We're having some fun with the earthquakes right now. But it's actually interesting because in business right now, what is the popular word that people use? Disruption, right? And so this notion of maybe thinking about our approach to things a little bit differently. So with my company, Shulman Communications Interactive, we focus a lot on some of the things that are not commonsensical. For instance, how you present more effectively, right? The notion of pitching, presenting, and persuading. And also, of course, the element of business English. I work with many companies around the world right now online and, and live programs here, and of course, in Los Angeles, where people are finding it necessary to build their communication English skills, understanding more effectively how to use vocabulary and idioms. Of course, uh, definite definite articles and plurals and pronouns and prepositions, all that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the other elements, too, like sales training that I do a tremendous amount of that. Not a lot of folks have had formalized sales training. There's a lot of newer emerging markets right now, some of them very complex, things like blockchain, right? And, of course, uh, cryptocurrency and a whole host of different areas where people uh, are having to find better ways to get a point across these ideas. I want our audience to go right now to get coaching from SCI.com. Get coaching from SCI.com. And that's Josh's website. Get coaching from SCI.com. Josh is an expert, you may have guessed already, in making pitches and persuading. He's very effective, not only on the radio, but in public speaking. He's a specialist in teaching me and others how to be practical and use the powerful skills of presenting yourself effectively through dynamic storytelling, organization, Mm -hmm. and how to use humor in your speeches, Mm -hmm. every element of communication. Josh, I want to know about, in addition to what I just said here, how Mm -hmm. you specifically do that. Well, it's interesting. Years ago, I would speak at events all the time. I ask salespeople all the time. I build and train a lot of sales teams for companies. And I ask, how many folks do public speaking? 
and no hands go up. And I go, why not? Now, as you know, of course, and our audience does, public speaking is the number one fear <laughs> over spiders, over death. And it's a challenge for a lot of folks. But the problem here is that from a sales perspective, those people are our vanguard. They're out there. They're out there trying to get business, the hunters and gatherers, right, of leads and prospecting. And so the notion of not using public speaking as an actual tool is beyond me. So that's what we really focus on, the idea of going and creating or, or speaking at a seminar or being on a panel, right, all of those things. I did an event years ago where I spoke for 3,000 people in Las Vegas, and 800 people came up and asked me for my business card, right? Now, that's effective prospecting. That's solid lead generation. You know, when people say, well, I'm not really, a, I'm not comfortable with public speaking, I say, well, it says on your resume, you're, you're a people person. Maybe you're a person person, right? And so this idea that we have to do that more and more with the internet and everything and YouTube, things are jump cut and short all the time. So people are not getting across their ideas in public, which is more popular than ever. Conferences, conventions are bigger than ever. So this has become a real, a real challenge for a lot of people. And so I really okay. believe that it's not a natural ability. I believe it's a skill set. Okay. Now I want to go deeper. And there's a lot of international people in the uh, greater LA area and LA Metro sure. is huge international populations who are legal and American and many in business. And so as we think about English as a second language and the international community wanting to grow themselves and grow business, sure. and we're talking about entrepreneurs, we're talking about salespeople, yeah. we're talking about students, we're talking about engineers. So oh, yeah. talk to us about your special approach to business English. Sure. Now, that's very interesting to me because I work with a lot of companies such as real estate, mortgage, insurance. Now, these organizations have very high attrition. Retention is very difficult for talent. And so what happens if you bring on, let's say, uh, I, I have a number of realty firms. They're all Chinese realtors, right? And if they only sell to their affinity group, their uh, sphere of influence, they'll be gone in five, six months. You can't just build a sustainable business by only selling to that group. However, if you really cultivate and build that English skill, and that's where we go back about those vocabulary, particularly the idioms, which transcends your relationship in communication with another person behind, besides the perfunctory nodding and essential, you really create extraordinary opportunity. And then your affinity group comes back to find you. I mean, look, here in Los Angeles, we have 17.8 million people. Ed. There's a lot of people to go sell to. In fact, now my business is really kind of uh, exploding as now I'm beyond that going to the 7.5 billion people around the world because we're doing this online and migrating more and more classes. The technology is extraordinary right now. So that's really essential that these folks and my engineers, too. I work with a lot of corporations where you have these extraordinary engineers are being paid a few hundred thousand dollars a year, but they cannot be put in managerial posts. And if you can't get put in a managerial post here, you're limiting your value to the organization. So it's, remember, for people with business English, it's not just the English challenges and their concern about their judgment of their English skill. It's also the public speaking stress as well, which is the same for native speakers. And yeah. on that, I need to ask you to go a little bit deeper now. We understand sure. the necessity and the availability yeah. Uh, but now, in English as a second language, we're talking with people who pronounce words differently and who understand phrases and situations differently than, say, Americans. How do you take, if you could give us uh, about 60 seconds, give us an example of how you can help somebody, say, Chinese or just any Asian. Sure with the pronunciations and the understandings of Americans. 
Well, it's interesting. We, we mentioned there are certain words that are difficult to pronounce, right? Because maybe they don't have those consonants in their own native language. However, there are, and I share with them, many synonyms of words that are most relevant that are actually easier for them to pronounce that they may want to use instead. But also, as I go back, let's say those idioms, when I share idioms, such as, let's say, on the same, in the same boat or on the same page, which has an interesting nuance, many of them have never heard of that, right? Or blow you away, right? This house is going to blow you away. They've never heard of that. You can imagine how things like that can really, really help in regards to ascending your, your relationship with your listener. And so some of that is very interesting as they get past the literal meanings of words and build more confidence in how they're communicating. Really helpful for them tremendously. That's fascinating. So do you go one-on-one or do you have small group interaction? I do one-on-one. I do group classes. For years, I've been doing these 10-week courses, which were twice a week here in Los Angeles for real estate and mortgage insurance, all kinds of companies and engineering firms as well. But what has happened, though, which became a problem is I was scaling and hiring trainers. It was very difficult to hire trainers because folks I know who, let's say, have sales background and understand prospecting to close and that whole process maybe weren't as versed as native speakers with their own English grammar. Maybe after fifth grade, they kind of kind of zoned out on that. And that becomes really difficult, right? Because you, we're basically also English teachers. And then also my English teachers who I've had, because I, you know, I was director of corporate sales at Berlitz for many years. I ran one of our centers here in, in Torrance, California. And I have a lot of English teachers, but perhaps they didn't have the business acumen or the sales background to be able to sell or you know, present that concept or the public speaking. So there's three or all these different disparate skill sets. So I changed my business model to once a week, 90 minutes, and I quadrupled my capacity. And now, of course, we're migrating everything online as well. So I have live courses. I work with a lot of diplomats and athletes. I work with a number of celebrities. People have, you know, 4 million followers on YouTube, but can't get up in front of 40 people. And many of those are live here in Los Angeles as well, depending on people's availability and mine as well. But we got a pretty busy schedule, 45 sessions a week of groups and online and, and private online and also private live here in Los Angeles and groups live here. And so Angeles. now I want to mention to the audience, which is worldwide, mm-hmm. uh, 60% U.S., 20% Europe, about 15% in Asia Pacific, 4% Latin America, and 1% uh, Middle East. We have a testimonial from Vice President of Engineering at a technology company called DirecTV. Many of you know about that. So this gentleman mentions that Joshua has provided some of the best coaching that he and his teams have received in engineering more often than not. I'm quoting this. In engineering more often than not, we often face the challenge of resonating ideas and execution strategies to the audience especially to those who are in different fields, such as marketing a product. Josh has introduced techniques that were easy to practice and are very adaptable for people from technical engineering to executive engineering. Within a few months of coaching by Josh, the benefits became obvious. So Josh, when you think about this particular guy and dealing with engineers, particularly this gentleman happens to be from an Asian background, this is like the epitome of challenge, isn't it? To try to communicate mm-hmm. techniques, isn't it? Why don't you talk well, yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a fascinating element, particularly within Asian culture, because as you, we may be familiar, an audience might know that the nail that sticks up in Asian culture gets hammered down. And here right. in North America, the nail that sticks up gets opportunity and advancement, promotion, recognition, reward, right? So it's, it's completely uh, opposite in a sense. So 
But the, the idea is how can we present and feel confident to be able to speak with dignity, right, and humility and uh, with self-respect and not, you know, uh, concern about, you know, look, if you have your own business, nobody's going to get out there and toot your horn better than yourself. You've got to be able to do it, right? And so I feel tremendously passionate about that, infusing that. And sometimes I wonder, how can we teach enthusiasm, energy? There's talk recently about, of course, IQ. That's always important, certainly with my engineers. EQ, which, of course, your audience is familiar with, which is the empathy, right, our emotional quotient. But there's a third one, which I think is becoming more relevant in business and essential for my Asian clients as well to be able to showcase. And that LQ is love quotient. Do you care about what it is you're selling or what you're working on or what you do? People can tell that, right? Within two minutes, someone asked me, what is the metric on that? How can we, how can we evaluate something like that? From a number standpoint, I said, you look right someone right in the eyes. You can tell what they, if they believe in their product, right? So these, these kinds of concepts are becoming important. I often ask my engineers when we get into storytelling to tell me, Ed, what was the first toy as a child that they took apart, right? Anyone who's become an engineer in life, no matter whether it's software or electrical or what have you, has had this curiosity to wonder how does something work, right? So whether it's a remote control car or a computer or what have you, they took it apart and they tried to figure it out and how to put it back together and all that. And that's what kind of started the budding kind of desiring aspiration, in which would later become a career in engineering. So the, finding right. that kind of articulation is really, really important. Let me just bring up this point, okay? The audience probably already grasped that you have a very strong personality and that you're passionate and ambitious about your work. So not everybody has that personality. And it is very, very difficult for people who don't have that personality to do what you say should be done. Knowing that, and with your experience, with, particularly with the Asian community here, how do you do that? How do you take care of yourself? How do you adapt as a person, a communicator? How do you get others to want to follow you? Well, we have to, first of all, identify some of these misnomers. There's this idea that we are classified in groups of people, introverts and then extroverts. And we, get, we put that hat on and we say, well, I'm an introvert, so I don't need to be the life of the party. Or if I'm in my job, I don't need to do presentations. But the problem is it, it hinders us, right? I mean, I've been in Toastmasters for many years, and it frustrated me that the average age, Ed, was like 42. Why? Because people toil away for two decades before they realize, wow, I really should build some communication skill. I'm not getting promoted. I see retirement on the horizon. And that becomes that frustration. So this idea that it is a hat, it is a role, it's a tool, and I've got to put on that energy, that, it, 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 that excitement, that kind of infusement of passion. And when they realize that, I mean, literally, systemically say, well, you know what? Okay, let's say with public speaking, Ed, eye contact, gestures, vocal variety, right? How we're going to avoid monotone how we can read body language, right, and, and understand people better. And then, of course, uh, how do we speak extemporaneously more effectively or even infusing humor? How do we use humor? Most people start a speech off just by telling a joke as opposed to really exploring the absurdity of the moments of the situations where humor really, really lies. So all of those things, I think, help them be able to process it and look at it from a different kind of level and recognizing you're not beholden to this identity of being either culturally introverted or as a person, as a personality, like you mentioned, that I don't believe we're stuck with that. I, when you were born, nobody gives you a microphone. They hand you a baby rattle. So everybody's making noise right off the bat. <laughs> okay. So now I want to go back to the love quotient. Sure. LQ, this sounds sexy. So what <laughs> is 
Yeah, I think we better go back to the people like me who are a little bit still thinking about that. <laughs> Love quotient. What does that mean? Say it again. So this idea that we get caught up cerebrally with this IQ, right? We got to, do we know everything about what we're talking about? Okay, that's the one thing. The emotional quotient, the EQ, has become very, very important in recent years with business. This compassion, right? That empathy. We've seen it with Nike. Look at the, some of the extraordinary things that they've done in regards to taking risk, right? A lot of companies have done that. And then the LQ is this idea, okay, let's, let's go back to basics. Do you even care about what it is you're selling, right? When we work for a company, we have to be able to infuse that kind of passion about what we're selling. If it's our own company and we have that problem, there's no way the, building, the business can succeed, right? It's so obvious when someone doesn't even really care about it. And yeah, you know, look, you build a business to sell a business. For most people, that's the notion of it. However, it's got to have something that feeds not just their soul, wallet rather, right? It's got to feed their soul, like this, this idea that there's something more intrinsically valuable. And that's what love quotient means. I want to know about your app. I understand I'm on your website here, which is, once again, getcoachingfromsci.com mm-hmm. and go to offerings. Now, on the upper right there, it says download the Speco, S-P-E-E-K-O, the Speco app. And so what's that about? Tell us. So that's interesting. I, I've talked to my clients over the years about Google Alerts. A lot of people aren't familiar with that. It's a special page where you can go in and you get emails from various different, you know, about anything. You can type in your business name, your name, your company's, uh, if you're buying a car, right, what kind of vehicle it is, and you'll get information as it happens or once a week. Anyway, I do that for tech stuff because this year I'm rolling out with some interesting virtual reality uh, participles. So I'll explain. So I reached out. I read an article on in Tech Insider Magazine about this company called Speco. The CEO sounds fascinating. It was an app that tracked your intonation and cadence in the, in the speaker so that people can build. I really believe e-learning is a tremendously important component to learning in general. We have tremendous technology accessible right now. So I reached out to them and we created an alliance. So I provide really interesting uh, live coaching componentry in that app. And then, of course, my clients have an app that they can use daily that they can be able to practice their speaking. And I'm very excited. This next year, we're hoping to roll out with virtual reality, not through Speaker. It'll be through a, a separate module that I have where we take your photograph, envelop it on an avatar, and it's got humanoid characteristics, you know, like scratching your head or raising your hand or crossing your arms in disbelief. And based on the intonation and cadence of the speaker, Ed, we can gamify it. So if someone says, um, uh, like, or, you know, or distracting gestures, they'd lose point value. So a tremendously fun way for people to cultivate the skill of public speaking and presentation skills, which everybody needs to do. They really do. I mean, they could pass on those opportunities if they choose, but, you know, it, it will always come back and haunt them. I tell people all the time, yet if you're good at what you do, you will be asked to speak to a large group. Now, you can pass on it, and that's up to you. But that's the distinction between building and creating a business or building and creating success within your role in a company or an organization and not. So you train the trainer? Definitely. Yeah, I do a lot of train the trainers as well. That's also a very difficult process because these three things, they seem disparate, right? The notion of public speaking, presentation, sales training, and business English. But oftentimes, and I've been, I've worked for four of the largest language and cultural companies and communication companies in the world, and none of them had an option that synergized all three of those together. This is, I've yet to come across trainers who, who can utilize them together as this really kind of trifecta of training. And so I'm starting to train more and more trainers. In fact, my own trainers that I'm bringing on board have to go through my programs, right? There's this, we have an eight-track module, a 24-track module based on what people need. Okay. I want to drill down now on poker. And 
I know you give a free poker lesson, but before we get into that, just to be serious about this for a moment. Sure. What's the correlation between poker and the reality show of those trying to survive in your own small business? What is the famous quote? Is it life is like a poker game? It's not what you're given. It's how you use it. And I've gone through, personally, just so many extraordinary life experiences of cancer survivor. It'll be six years, or it just was six years of Hodgkin's lymphoma. I've had four knee surgeries in the last four years. I've gone through so much adversity and challenge and things like that. And out of the Holocaust survivor, which is an extraordinary uh, family experience that we've had that has put a lot of priorities and made some interesting, interesting choices in my life about what is relevant and what's not. And all that is, seems to come together when I play this silly game called poker, which the courts have deemed a game of skill, not a game of chance. But I utilize poker in a really interesting way because it's an extraordinary networking opportunity, right? We sit for five, six hours. All we do is discuss business, exchange cards, and the game is almost like the lubricant for the opportunity of chat. If you go to a restaurant and you bring a bunch of people for a networking evening, you'll talk to the person on the left and the person on the right, but you're not really engaged with everybody there. This game does that differently. So that part of this game fascinates me. And not to mention, it's some of the similar skill sets that we use in business and in life, right? This idea of reading people in body language, right? The idea of assumptions of others. Hey, financials, right? You got to know your numbers. And in poker, there is the mathematical side. We're using both sides of our brain. This element of storytelling, absolutely. Things have to make sense, right? And of course, the bluffing concept. And so the, <laughs> a lot of my clients are millennials and they talk about this act as if, right? And I said, well, you know what? You can only do that so far. So one of the concepts we talk about is not just important to talk the talk, but walk the walk. Let's talk about sure. reading people. Give me an idea. You know, somebody scratches their head. What does that mean? Well, the head is an interesting thing. So we have with our frontal cortex that the orbital lobe, if you look at it anatomically, when your brain is like really kind of rocking and rolling, the blood supply goes to your head, right? You're thinking. And so you itch your head because there's a lot of blood flow. And that, that tells me something. If someone's in a quandary, right? It's the same when I ask people questions, like at the poker table. I can even look at someone and say, you want me to call you? You want me to, you want me to fold, you know? I can tell by whether they're looking at the a brain has two hemispheres, the left side of the brain, the right side of the brain, whether they're looking up to the left or looking to the right. One is creative, right? One is essentially recalling. Well, if you're creative, then you're fabricating, you're lying, right? If you're recalling, then it's truthful. So there's a lot of very interesting nuance in the behavior patterns. We call them micro expressions. We have macro expressions too, right? When If you have great cards, you look at them and go, whoa, right? You're very excited. But a uh, a microexpression of happiness is my, you might purse your lip a little bit or raise your eyebrows slightly, and we look for those things. In fact, I teach my students all the time when they're dealing out the cards and poker, when they're giving everybody their cards. Don't look at your cards. Look at everybody else looking at their cards. And so little things like that really help you because it's a game about information. It's a game about mitigating error and mistake, just like business, just like business. Tell me again, when you look yeah. to the right, you're being deceitful, and look to the left, you're more discerning? Yeah. The, the, so this idea that you're seeking out that information, right? And so when we're seeking out that information, we're trying to justify our decision. But it's done really quickly. And it's done even, as I mentioned, as a micro level. So the listener doesn't realize they're conveying that. And that's why in poker, maybe you see people with scars. You see them with sunglasses. You see them kind of covering their mouths, right? They're cut, they wear the scars because there's that that, that vein on their neck, right, that can maybe show their blood pressure, <laughs> right? There's all kinds of things. I use my Apple Watch when I'm playing poker all the time, and I look down and I see, oh, wow, my heart rate's 182 when I'm about to call or, or push all in. And 
I also believe there's two brains in our body. There's the, the cerebral brain and there's also the gut. And in our gut, actually, you know, people make decisions all the time. I see people in poker call or, or raise and they're like, and then they, they lose the hand and they're like, oh, I knew you had me. Well, why did you call? Right? There was something in you that told you. So we, we do that all the time. We do that with judgment of people based on character, right? Is this person a worthwhile person or, are they, or is there something up to them? That is really cool. So when you play poker, you win? <laughs> I focus on what's called the hourly rate. So like in life, you can't win all the time. There is, I don't believe in this element of luck. I believe in what's called randonimity. So, you know, when you play a new hand, it's completely random. There's no pacing. There's no pattern in order to the kind of cards you're going to get. So you're going to get beaten by times. The, the game is fascinating. They say it takes five minutes to learn, Ed, but a lifetime to master. And what happens is when people play the game in the beginning, they tend to win a lot because they do certain things that nobody else understands. So they raise or they re-raise or they go all in. And the other person is not familiar with what's happening and they fold. And so they win. And so if they win a bunch in the beginning, they start to say, you know, oh, wow, I'm really good at this. And it stirs their ego and they build on that. The problem is that's not sustainable. And then they lose. So it's, I, I will take a drunk person over a newbie player any day of the week to play against. Because uh, someone who's new is going to make all kinds of unsophisticated moves and not realize why they're doing what they're doing. And we see that in business too, right? So learning poker can be a gift item. Do you give gift certificates or gift cards? People can. People can purchase it for other people. I often offer, I think I do about eight Three sessions a week. They're 37 minutes. They're actually 27 minutes. I have these what's called chip tips. You may have seen them. They're actually chip business cards. We use them in our network events that we have here in Los Angeles. They're poker chips with my website on one side and my email on the other. And yeah, people can learn. They, they, if they're interested in them, then they can perhaps want some further study. And then, of course, a lot of the people that I work with may have started in poker and then say, you know what, Josh, I'm, I'm starting this company. I really could help, use some help with business development or some of the other elements and, and maybe my presentation skills and then vice versa. So I've got quite a few modules, if you look on my website, of different programs and offerings, including chess, by the way. I have a nine-year-old prodigy, an Indian kid who's just extraordinary, teaching chess. Chess, too, uses some different uh, strategies, which are also really powerful. So how do you apply this now to business negotiations, say a job interview? Sure. Well, job interviews are interesting. I work with a lot of young millennials. And, you know, as you know, in this day and age, people can fake college applications, they can fake job applications. You cannot fake a job interview. So this idea about how you're presenting yourself, because when you're, let's say, right out of school or a couple of years, you are not being hired for your 30 years of experience. You're hired for your potential. And they're looking for that leadership. And so the body language is essential that you essentially move forward. You lean. They call this tilt. And that idea that they see this apprehension, this excitement, that shows to, to the business owner, this person I can put in and they're going to hit the ground running day one on Monday, right? So we can actually increase. A lot of my clients, I know they're going to get hired with the job. I'm not worried about that. I want them to get promoted within 10 months. So it's a different approach about that strategy. And also, look, I've got folks who are quants, right? Who make half a million dollars who have challenge with client interface, not customer service, client interface, right? And dealing with that. And they too. And the interview process, right? Interviewing is selling yourself. You've got to be able to do it effectively. And not a lot of people have had that kind of training. And it is training. Let's go back to what you just said, because my mind's racing here. Sure. Client interface. What does that mean to you again? In any business relationship, there'll be scenarios where various people in your organization or company will interact with your clients, but they don't normally do that, right? So a quant, like these quantitative analysis folks, they're incredibly bright guys and gals, but they may or may not have some of the other components or social 
confidence in relating with a client. So they may say something a little off-putting, right? Or behave in a manner that is not as becoming or in that circumstance. That, that's the client interface about how we're actually connecting with folks and realizing that. You know, salespeople recognize that and they're used to that. They're, they know how to manage the conversation between a client and it's, it's a different approach. So that's something that a lot of folks need to, to learn and, and, and build on. And the fact of the matter is they don't do it that often. So that's why they're not as skilled with it. So let's augment this reality and get to yes every time. Now, how would you utilize what you've just been telling us about reading people and about left brain, right brain, head and gut intelligence, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. How do you get to yes every time? I pay attention. I watch closely. I listen. I'm looking for cues. Like there's all kinds of things. You know, people... What is the old line in sales? They say one doesn't buy, walk on the lot unless they intend to buy that, that notion. Well, if people are there and they're having a conversation with you for 30 minutes, right, or a sales, they want to be able to buy this. They just need to understand, right? And there are going to be a variety of things they may say if they don't get the adequate information, right? We call them stall, thinking, right, different things, and they'll move forward. So you've got to make sure you're answering the correct questions of what it is people want, what they're looking for, so you can not only assuage the situation, but give them confidence in their decision. Make them want to choose, whatever that might be. You know, that program, How to Get a Yes Every Time, it used to be called Presentation Skills for Realtors with English as a Second Language. And many of my Chinese realtors, I did a focus group, they didn't want to admit that their English skill wasn't strong enough. And so at first, there was difficulty in getting people signing up for the course. I changed it to get How to Get a Yes Every Time, and boom, I was like closing them left and right. So people love that idea that we can apply that to everything because we all want to persuade better and pitch. And I don't mean, and that's where sometimes sales gets a bad rap, right? Where people feel they're putting something over on someone. No, they're just trying to enlighten and share an idea and a, a part of what their product does or that they may not have known some feature, some benefit. Now, let's just talk about the reality of business today, especially in large organizations where you have a, a number of younger people and they're the new workforce is no doubt about it that people in the millennial and even the Z category of age bracket, that's it. That's the workforce. There's no such thing as millennials. Sure. It's the workforce. It's everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. Now, many of these people have great technical computer skills and not so much skills in people relations. In other words, what you were just talking about, client interface or people communication skills, correct? Yeah. No, there's definitely an interesting through line going on that I've seen that really relevant. And it saps confidence, right? It saps people's feeling that they can be able to handle that. The fact of the matter is that, you know, if you grew up watching YouTube videos, which are essentially three to four minutes long, or many of these kids make them themselves, right? But they can edit them. They're not doing them live. They can edit them. They can create their own little teleprompter or script for it all of these ideas, when you have to go out and speak on your own extemporaneously, and I do a whole module on how to speak off the cuff, extemporaneous speaking, where you can prepare and put ideas and thoughts together really quickly on the fly in coherent, relevant response to what someone's asking. That is something that's been missing as part of their natural growing up experience. Back in the day, I remember my grandfather, they were doing that, they're, they're, his time coming up, they had orators, right? People, that, that was actually a source or form of entertainment. Today, we don't really have that per se. We do it in different ways, but it's, it's, it's manipulated, it's edited, it's created. So the idea of people having to do that on the fly 
is difficult. And I think we have to go back to that because people need to feel confidence in someone, what they're selling, what they're uh, presenting, if they're an entrepreneur. You know, entrepreneurism is a very strange thing. It's such a wonderful opportunity. The climate right now to jump in there is fantastic. But there are a lot of what they call entrepreneurs. You've got to have a product. You've got to have a service that you can bring to market. It can't just be these great ideas. I think people are fascinated with what entrepreneurism is as because of the flexibility and stuff like that. But it takes courage. So what do you think about the idea of people working from home? You know, just well, isolated it, from the workforce? Depending on how that works. For instance, I have a lot of sessions that are out live up in L.A. And, and then I could have five or six back-to-back. They're hour-long sessions. I have a 15-minute break be, between. I am talking to people all over the world. I have eight different time zones now and uh, group classes and lot one-on-ones and things. And I've never felt, even when I, I'm home and I do, I have a studio built in my house that I do this from, that nobody, I never feel like, oh, wow, I'm really isolated because I'm talking to different people and involved with people all day long. I'm just not walking and wasting time at the water cooler or schmoozing, walking in parking lots and all the other things. I think business is changing. It's dramatically changing. But the model has to change with it. And I think there's a little confusion. There's a lot of businesses, I think, actually, that are preying on people, like the MLM models, the you know the multi-level marketing, direct sales. I think a lot of women who are working from home who have a child, for instance, and want to be able to stay home, they're not finding the success with those models as they thought they were. And those things frustrate me a little bit in regards to how people can actually make a bonafide living. People have to be more selective. This is really interesting. So getting to yes. All right. So we want to avoid the idea a shtick involved that it's an entertainment or a stand-up routine at a comedy club. You know, how do you teach empathy? You can't do that, can you? Well, I think you can in the sense that, first of all, they have to be curious, right? I, I tell people all the time, be curious. Want to know. How does something work? How does the person work? How do they tick, right? What is going on about them? How they got involved? You, you are so wonderful with this, Ed, because you're so curious in the questions you always ask and you meet people all the time. You're intrigued and fascinated about how that came about, how they got started on that. And that's how people need to behave. That's how people need to think all the time. I think that will help them tremendously as they build either creating ideas for their own businesses or in regards to how they're just moving forward in the work that they're doing. But the nine to five job in the cubicle is changing. And it should. I think people are feeling they need more enthrallment in their life, more value, a sense of more dignity, and that's getting lost. It's getting lost in the workplace. So, Josh, I know you from the past when you were an entertainer, professional entertainer, a magician, in fact. And that I remember when you used to talk with Ronald Reagan. So, uh, <laughs> can you say- <laughs> Can you channel President Reagan for a minute? Well, you know, it's interesting if you talk about Reagan and, oh, hold on, Nancy, I'll be right there. I, uh, let me finish this interview with Mr. Ed Cohen. Uh, so, so Ed, uh, uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. I do a lot of that. Now the magic is just part of things I do. You know, I love to take a business card and make it disappear. And, well, the writing on one side and then the other. I'll use that in different manners. And there you have it. Engagement is what it's about. <laughs> it's been a delight speaking with you, uh, Joshua Shulman. <laughs> and once again, the website is getcoachingfromsci.com. Thank you very it's been much, a Ed. Thank you, and have a good day. You this too. is Ed Cohen signing off from San Diego, and that was Joshua Shulman in L.A. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. GlobalRadioTalkShow.com.
Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, we'll never somebody show him from. Come on, baby. Drive crazy. Mr. Rank is just great. Balls of fire. <laughs>